0: It was supposed to be a fun adventure, but it turned out to be a disaster. It happened when my parents graciously decided to take my brothers and I down for a trip to Mexico. We had come out of a, a hard season and they wanted to to kind of get us away as a family, to, to get some rest, to enjoy good food, to, to read and relax on the beach and uh, to have some fun together by going on some day trips. And it was an amazing, Time and especially those day trips, they really stick out in my mind. And we were really excited about one of those trips, which was to go on this old sailboat out onto the ocean to go snorkeling, to go deep sea snorkeling in the ocean. I mean, the only kind of snorkeling that I had ever done was in a pool or a lake. And so to have the opportunity to get into the ocean, to see up close and personal some sea life was something that we were really excited about. And so when the day came for us to go, uh, our excitement level was pretty high. We were ready to go and ready to spend the day on the water having some fun. And our our destination was this this bay that was supposed to be the place to go snorkeling in the area. And so now we're not just excited, but our expectations have been raised to a whole new level. And so we head out on this sailboat, it's a beautiful day, the wind is up, the sun is out, and we finally arrive at this bay to go snorkeling. So we drop anchor, we get geared up, and we jump into the water. And the first thing that I remember is that, man, this water is nice, it's warm, Uh, this is gonna be fun. And the second thing I remember is, I'm surrounded by jellyfish, like everywhere. Like, everywhere I look, I'm surrounded by these little white jellyfish. And they look harmless, but they actually weren't. And um, because very quickly, as I'm floating there in the water, I'm thinking, hey, we've hit a home run. We have landed right in the middle of this school of jellyfish. And right at that moment that I thought that, the jellyfish started to sting us. And sting us again and again. And it hurt so bad. It felt like I was getting shocked, but way worse than that, and it just kept going and going. These jellyfish weren't stopping, and now I'm thinking like, I gotta get out of here. Like, but where do I go? I, I, Everywhere I look is jellyfish, and so I'm yelling, and the people in the boat are yelling, swim, swim, get out of there, get out of there. And so we start swimming, that's what we do. That's the only thing we do, but as we swim, the jellyfish start stinging us even more. They actually sting us more than when we were just floating there, but we gotta keep going. So I'm swimming, I'm swimming, continuing to get stung over and over and over. And finally, we're free. We're on the other side of this school of jellyfish. And I'm floating there in the water. And I've got welts all over my body. And I'm like, this is not what I signed up for. See, I signed up for a fun adventure. But what I got instead was a whole lot of pain. Now that experience might feel like, or even sound like, some of our experiences with this thing called dating. We sign up to spend time with someone we're interested in. We sign up for coffee and good conversation. We sign up for fun and the adventure of getting to know someone. We sign up because we believe that this person might be the one that we've been looking for. We sign up for all that. But what we don't sign up for is the stress and the anxiety. The questions, the games, the wondering if they're gonna text or they're gonna call and sometimes the hurt and the pain and the heartache that comes when a relationship falls apart we sign up for all the good parts the fun adventure parts of the dating but so often we don't sign up for all the hard parts see dating is something that can be so good but it so often ends up going so badly and some of us listening today uh, we get that all too well and what we'd love more than anything else is to have a different experience of dating and so today as we enter back into this series we've been in called better relationships we're gonna come at this topic of dating and we're gonna ask how do we think about and pursue dating in a way that sets us up to experience something different than we have in the past maybe even something better when it comes to this strange and beautiful thing we call dating That's the question we're going to try and wrestle with and answer today as we continue in this series. Now, before we jump into the the Bible and and start to investigate what it says and the principles it has there for us when it comes to this topic, uh, I'm well aware that you might be here listening um, and you're thinking this isn't relevant to you. Maybe you're married and you already have kids or you're a grandparent and you have grandkids, and you've already gone through this whole dating experience and you found someone to share your life with and you're thinking, well, this isn't really relevant to me. This isn't important to me today. That might be true, but let me just say this. Some of you, as I said, are married and you have kids or you have grandkids. And at some point, those kids and those grandkids are going to start to think about, ask questions about, or even wanting to start pursuing this thing called dating. And your ability to understand dating, what it is, what it's for, why we do it. Uh, will help them to 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 know what to expect. It will empower you and equip you to to guide them and support them as they start to think about and pursue dating. And so they are going to need your help. They need your support. And so I actually think today is incredibly relevant for you. And here's the other thing: if you look at our church, we have a lot of young people and singles in our church. And and I talk to a lot of young people who describe their dating experience as damaging, hesitant. Um, it's hard to keep up hope, that it's painful. And so what they need as us as a church to come alongside them, cheer them on, support them, and help them to date well. And so I think that today is incredibly, incredibly relevant for all of us. If you're single and you want to date, today is for you. If you're single and you've been deeply hurt in dating, today is for you. If you're single and you never want to date, it's off the table, today is for you. If you're married and you're a grandparent, Today is for you too. See, I think today is for all of us. So let's all lean in. Let's, all, let's not lean out, but lean in because better relationships are on the line. So to help us think through this, we're going to be in a book of the Bible called Ruth. It's found in the part of the Bible before Jesus that we call the Old Testament. So if you have a Bible, whether it's electronic or a hard copy, grab it and turn to Ruth chapter two. We're going to pick up this story in Ruth starting in verse 1 of chapter 2 listen to these words now naomi had a relative of her husband's a worthy man of the clan of elimelech whose name was boaz and ruth the moabite said to naomi let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight i shall find favor and he said and she said to her go my daughter so she set out and went and gleaned in the fields after the reapers and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And so right away, we're introduced to two main characters. There's Ruth. She's a widow. Her husband died. Her husband um, was Naomi's son, and he died, and so she's a widow. And when Naomi's husband died, and she decided to come back to her home country, to Israel, to Bethlehem, Ruth left her life in Moab to remain with Naomi and come and live with her in her hometown of Bethlehem. And already in this story of Ruth, what we've seen is Ruth is someone with character. She's loving, she's loyal, she's kind. She is a person of character, but she's also poor. Her and Naomi have no food. Uh, they have no one to look out for them. In this culture, they are in an extremely vulnerable place. And so that's Ruth. That's her story. That's her situation. And then there's Boaz. Now, Boaz is described as a, he's a relative of Naomi's, and he's also described as a worthy man. In other words, what the scriptures are saying is that Boaz is a good man, that he's a man of honor and strength and character and influence and wealth. This is who Boaz is. He's a good man. He has strong character. And so you have Ruth and then you have Boaz, two single people who love God and who have strong character. And this is the story of how they meet one another. And if you notice, it just so happens that Ruth, in need of food, decides to go to the harvest fields that were outside the city to gather some grain so she and Naomi can have food. And she just happens to come to the very field that Boaz owns. She just happens to. Accident? Maybe. Luck? Could be. Something more? Possibly. Either way, this is the moment. What happens next is the moment what the film industry calls the meet-cute, the moment when two people who will eventually become a couple meet for the very first time. And we get closer to that first moment in verse four. Look at this. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to the young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So Boaz shows up at his field, and he notices Ruth in the crowd, and he asks, who is that? Is she married? Which family does she come from? And so right away, we see that there's this curiosity in Boaz when he sees Ruth. He's never seen her at the field before. He doesn't really know who she is. And so he has this curiosity about her. But there's also a hint of physical attraction going on here. See, Boaz has noticed Ruth. She's caught his attention. And you might think, whoa, 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 whoa. Isn't that shallow? Can we actually be physically attracted to someone if I follow Jesus? Is that something that we're allowed to do? Um, Yes, you can. You can be attracted to somebody. Attraction is a good thing, but it can't be the only thing. And too often it is in, in our minds, and our hearts, and the way we evaluate people, and the way in our culture. See, physical beauty and, and sex have been elevated in our culture in such a way that if we're not careful, we can do the same thing, but, but yeah, if you see someone and you feel all the feels and you're interested in them because of what you see, that's okay, that's good. Physical attraction is a good thing. Just don't count on it as the only thing you use to evaluate whether you want to be with someone or not. And in fact, even though Boaz notices Ruth, it's so much more than her physical beauty that ultimately attracts them even more. And this comes out as we move to their first meeting, the meet cute in verse 8. Check this out. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one. But keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And so Boaz shows up in Ruth's world and he provides her a place to gather food and water to quench her thirst. He protects her from the other young men in the fields who might try to take advantage of Ruth. And he essentially says to her, I'm going to treat you like my own daughter, and I'm going to look out for you. That's loving. That's kind. That's someone seeing another person in need and entering in their story to help them have something different, something better. And Ruth, I mean, she's blown away by this because this is totally unexpected. Look at how she responds to this kindness of Boaz. Verse 10, Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before, the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she, Ruth, said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. So not only does Boaz provide for Ruth and protect her, he speaks words of blessing over her. He eases the worries that Ruth is carrying, that she's weighed down by. And in doing this, we start to see Ruth's story rewritten. Why? Why? because someone entered into Ruth's story and situation out of kindness to give her something that she didn't have but desperately needed. And if you know the story of Ruth, and you know by the end of this story, Ruth and Boaz unite their life together in marriage, and that's a beautiful ending to a really cool story. But what I think is even more beautiful for our purposes today is the picture that's starting to be painted here in the opening moments of this relationship. See, here Boaz moves toward Ruth in kindness and helps her to have something different than she currently has. And the thing is, Ruth has already been doing the exact same thing for her mother-in-law Naomi. Excuse me, Naomi. And Boaz references that in verse 11. He says that he's heard everything about Ruth has been doing for Naomi. It's reached his ears. He's been told about the love and the kindness that she had shown to Naomi after Naomi lost her husband and was grieving And how when Naomi was alone, that Ruth was the only one who stuck with her. That this has actually reached Boaz's ears and how she has been living before they've ever even met has caught his attention is something that he's noticed about her. And so the picture that is being painted in these opening moments of this relationship is this, two single people bringing love and kindness into the relationships that they have. And in a culture that elevates beauty, and sex is the primary ways to determine whether you want to spend time with someone or not, this is something completely different. In fact, we might even say it's something radical, because it begins to show us a better way to approach dating. And look, you don't have to be a cultural expert to know that there are things in our cultural culture, culture that, um, that our culture values and, and ways of thinking that have emerged, that impact how we think, how we live, how we see other people, and how we pursue life, even pursue dating. In fact, some myths about dating have actually emerged within our culture, and a lot of people are buying into these myths. Even if they're not even aware of it, sometimes their actions and the way they live, whether it's uh, dating in person or it's dating online, uh, people are living these myths out. And make no mistake, these are not just myths that are out there in culture. They're also in here, in the church as well. I see it all the time. And so if we want better dating relationships, then I think we need to kind of bring some of these myths out into the open and talk about them briefly. And that's what I want to do for the next couple of minutes as we continue to pursue thinking uh, and approaching dating differently. And so I want to unpack two myths with you really quickly. The first one is this, that dating is about finding the one. This is the idea that out there somewhere is your missing half or your soulmate who was made to complete you. It's the belief that out of the 7 billion people alive on planet Earth, that there is one perfect person out there for you and for you alone that you are destined to be with. We see this all the time in in movies. Um, It's just ingrained within our culture. And when This myth of dating becomes something we fall into or something we believe. Dating then becomes trying to find a needle in a haystack. It's this process of sifting through all the people that you come across to find the one person and one person alone that God put on the planet just for you and the one person alone who can truly make you happy. See, this myth is all around us and the problem with this myth is it actually creates a lot of anxiety. Is she the one? Is he the one? Did I meet the one already, and did I miss my chance? What if I... What if I get it wrong? What if I never meet the person? What if I never find them? Do, does that mean I'm going to end up alone, or I'm going to be tethered to someone who um, is less than this one perfect person that's out there, the soulmate that God created for me? See, when these kind of thoughts swirl around in our minds, whether we realize it or not, when they do that, we never quite feel at rest, do we? Even when we're spending time with someone great, with someone that's smart and funny and caring, who loves God and is serving God, even when that happens, there's this little voice in our head that asks the question, what if? What if she's not the one? What if he's not the one? What if that person's still out there and you just have to wait a little bit longer? What if? And there's so much anxiety and fear that can come with that, that actually works against us finding someone or actually sticking with someone. See, if we listen to that voice or the voice gets too loud, eventually what happens is we'll either step away from a relationship that we're in because we believe the lie that, that unsettled feeling within our spirits means this wasn't meant to be, or we keep one foot out the door of the relationship just in case the one does show up. See, viewing dating is about finding the one creates all kinds of anxiety and actually leads to a lack of commitment. And, of course, we need to be discerning and wise about finding the right person to to connect our life with and share our life with. But when this myth is front and center, when we fall into this myth, it's actually more harmful than it is helpful. So that's the first myth. The second myth is that dating is people shopping. And in a lot of ways, I think this is actually the more harmful myth because this is the view of dating where you begin with the list. You know, a checklist of all the things you are looking for in a person you want to share your life with. Like, hey, I want him to be tall, but not too tall. Handsome, funny, kind, good job, good income, super important. He has to be sensitive, but strong, confident, but also caring. Oh, and six pack abs, huge plus. Or, I want her to be adventurous, fun, into sports, like all the things I like. Oh, and a good cook. A guy's got to eat, right? See, we all... Do this on some level and please hear me having some kind of list of what you want to be with someone is not wrong But we also have to be so careful Because when we make a list what we're doing is we are treating people like an item on a shopping list We're people shopping We're shopping for the best sex the most attractive person the smartest or funniest person the person with the the best future We're shopping I mean, there are are entire dating apps that you can get on your phone that are based on this myth, like like Tinder, this app you can get on your phone, where if you like a person's picture, you can swipe one way. If you don't like a person's picture, you can swipe another way. And the only criteria and basis for your decision is what they look like. It's skin deep. All the other parts of what it means to be a human being, like like their stories, their dreams and their fears, what makes them laugh, what they enjoy doing, All of it gets ignored for something that is physical, is external. And I don't know, but I can't help believe this is damaging how we think about people and how we date. And hey, you might not be doing this on Tinder, but you might just be doing this in your everyday life. As you go around living your life, you come across someone and you subconsciously pull out your checklist. Every time you see someone that might be interesting and you quickly run through all the different boxes you've created in order to see if this person's a match. See, when we're doing this, we're treating a person who is made in the image and the likeness of God, who has eternal value and worth, and we're treating them like a product that we can buy on a grocery store shelf or on Amazon. We're people flashing a newsflash. If you're doing this to other people, people are definitely doing it to you. You're being looked at and treated like a product, not a person. And so you might think people shopping, um, the view of people shopping as dating as harmless, but it's actually really harmful. It's selling you a way of viewing people that's harmful and ultimately is so self-centered because it's all about you and what you want to get from another person. And that's a problem because when it comes to the true essence of dating, you are looking for a person to love, not a product to consume. And so if dating isn't about finding the one, And if viewing dating as people shopping isn't helping us, then what is a better way to think about and pursue dating? Well, there are a lot of ways that I could actually answer that question. There's actually too many, in fact, for me to actually lean into. So what I want to do is give us one way to think about dating that comes out of this encounter between Ruth and Boaz. And if we look at that and we build our dating lives, how we think about and how we pursue dating on this one thing, I think we will actually have better dating relationships. So, if you look at the way Boaz and Ruth meet, at the heart of it is something called hesed, which is a Hebrew word which means kindness, loyal love, faithfulness, goodness, mercy, compassion. And most importantly, hesed is a quality that moves a person to act for the good of another. And in this encounter between Ruth and Boaz, what we see is hesed being lived out. We see it in action as Boaz moves toward Ruth in kindness so that she could have something Good. In both the way he speaks and the way he acts, Boaz brings love and kindness into Ruth's story and situation, and in the process, joins God in rewriting her story. Do you know what that sounds like? That sounds like what God has done for us. See, when we look at Boaz, we see a real historical person, a man who met and married a girl named Ruth who started a family. That's who we see here, but we also see a glimpse of something greater. We see a glimpse of someone who would come hundreds of years later, who would actually come from the family line created in this family, this unity that Ruth and Boaz has. We see a glimpse of someone who would come, who would be born hundreds of years later, who would come and show us the ultimate kindness in doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. And of course, the person I'm talking about is Jesus. And when we talk about Jesus, we're not just talking about a good moral teacher or even a historical person. I mean, he is those things, but he's so much more. So when we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about God. Someone who has existed for all eternity. Someone who was there before the world was created. Someone who created the world and crafted the solar system. Who created animals and trees and fruit and people. Someone who is king over the entire universe, and who lived in heaven in a position of power before he left it to be a servant on earth. This is the Jesus we're talking about, which makes it absolutely stunning to read in the Bible that this same Jesus who was a king in heaven came to be a servant on earth in both his life and ultimately in his death on a Roman cross for our good. I mean, it's just staggering to think about that Jesus moved toward us in kindness to rescue us from everything that separated us from God, what the Bible calls sin, and to bring us into relationship with the God of the universe. And Jesus didn't have to do this. He could have stayed where he was, but instead he moved towards us in love. He came down to lift us up to something more. And in this, God showed us extravagant kindness. We didn't earn it. We don't even deserve it. But this is who God is, a God who is love, gracious, merciful, and kind. And here in Ruth, the pattern that we see in Jesus is being lived out in this encounter between these two single people as they move toward others in kindness. Ruth with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and Boaz with Ruth. And when those two people meet, something beautiful is born. And that is the main point that I want to bring before you today, is that what I've encountered in Jesus, the person I'm dating, should encounter in me that the love that Jesus has shown me, the kindness that Jesus has shown me, the forgiveness, the mercy, the compassion, the grace that Jesus has shown me that I've encountered in Jesus, this is what the person I'm dating should experience and encounter in me and from me as long as we are together. Whether that's for a short time or you end up uniting your lives together in marriage for life. What I've encountered in Jesus is what the person I'm dating should encounter in me. What is... What if this is how we thought about and pursued dating? What if instead of thinking about approaching dating as a search for the one, or as people shopping, you approach dating as an opportunity to help another person experience the love and the kindness of God for the time you were together? What if instead of creating a checklist of what you want from a person, you started thinking about how you can help someone taste God's love and God's kindness through how you speak to them and how you treat them? And then you went and looked for someone who was actively doing the same thing in their relationships. What if we thought about dating like that? See, I think that's a much better way to date. Don't you? To think about and pursue dating based on the message of Jesus and not some myth. And I think if we do that, I think it's going to set us up for better dating relationships. And so that's the framework. That's the big thing that I want you to take away today. That what I've encountered in Jesus is what the person I'm dating should encounter in me. And if we can get that, then I think we're at a really good starting point. But I don't want to leave you without some more practical kind of guiding principles to help you date well. And so as we kind of land the plane on this talk, I want to do some quick hit uh, guiding principles to help you date well. The first of, of them is this. Invite God into the process. Don't try and do this alone. Be prayerful pray for wisdom and guidance along the way as you date even pray for the person that god might have in mind for you i mean unbeknownst to me uh catherine and i my wife eight months before we ever met we both had it put on our heart by god to start praying for the person that we were going to marry we had never met she was living in the united states but eight months before she felt she needed to start praying for this guy who was out there which happened to me be me and i started to pray for this girl who was out there, which just happened to be Catherine. And so prayer is a powerful way to invite God into the process and to join him in this dating journey. And so start with inviting God into the process, then ask gospel questions. Questions like, how has Jesus loved me? And how can I love this person I'm dating like that? How can I lay aside my wants and needs so I can help this person have what they want and need? What do I need to say and do so that this person can experience the kindness of God through me today? And then once you ask those kind of gospel-centered questions, go and do it. Live it out. Go and put those things into practice. And in this way, you'll be letting the message of Jesus shape your thinking and lead you in how you treat the person that you date. So ask gospel questions next. Honor and protect. See, in verses eight and nine of Ruth, we see something from Boaz that I think is so important. In verse eight, he says, I'm gonna treat you like my own daughter and look out for you. He's honoring this woman who's vulnerable, who's lost her husband, who doesn't have what she needs to to thrive and flourish. And so he looks at her, I'm gonna honor you like my own child, treat you like my daughter. But he also protects her. Again, we talk about how he said to the young men in the field, don't touch her. Like she's like my own daughter, don't leave her alone. And in both of these acts, Boaz is being incredibly loving. He's honoring Ruth and making sure he she's not being taken advantage of by himself or others. And look, like I don't have to convince you, but this is a big issue in our culture today. We see in some of the sexual assaults that happen on campuses all over uh, North America and the world that many believe are linked to the effects of pornography. That of seeing women or men as objects to be used for one's own pleasure. And so when you enter into a dating relationship, let me just say this right outright, true love does not require access to another person's body while simultaneously at the same time abdicating any responsibility to take care of the other parts of who that person is, like their emotional, mental, spiritual well-being. And so we want to honor and protect one another. We want to keep good boundaries in our relationships. We want to live that out. And, And that's such an important piece So honor and protect, and then be honest. Don't play games. Be kind by being clear. Share where you're at. Have conversations about your relationship. Be intentional. Kindness and being clear is so important in how we be honest. Together is better than alone. If you notice, Boaz looks at Ruth and says, Hey, follow the other women. Be in relationship with the other ladies who are gathering grain. He's like, Do this thing called life in community. Don't try and navigate this on your own. And I would say the exact same thing applies to dating. Don't try and date on your own. Have people around you who can speak into it, pray for you, support you, cheer you on, and help you and the person you're dating do this well. Next, take dating seriously, but not too seriously. It's this really fine balance when it comes to dating isn't it like we need to take this seriously a lot of heartache and pain and broken marriages and families come because we haven't dated well we've left a lot of people in our wake that we've hurt, or we've been the person that has been hurt like this is something that we should take seriously we should be discerning we should be wise about how we do this but we should also on the same side of things or the flip side of things is not take this so seriously like don't be like the guy who asked my wife out for a date in college before we had ever met he came to katherine after a class asked her out on a coffee and kath was interested she had seen him uh, she had seen how he interacted with people and and she was she was interested in him and he had been kind and honest to her so She said, yeah, let's go for a coffee. Let's let's explore this. And so they went for a coffee. They get the coffee. They sit down. They're taking their first sip of their lattes. And the very first question out of his mouth is, so when you're married and you have kids, do you think you're going to want to stay home or do you think you're going to want to go back to work? First question out of the gate, not, hey, so tell me about your life. What's your family like? What's your dreams about? What are you taking in school? It was this question that had such weight and such gravity to it, a question that maybe you'd want to ask just a little bit down the road, not the first question out of your mouth. Now, I'm not complaining because I benefited from this. And so, bro, wherever you're at, thank you so much. Um, But seriously, like, dating can be fun. Like, we need to take this seriously. Let's not be so serious about dating. Like, going on one date for coffee with someone doesn't mean you're going to marry them. It's about getting to know somebody. So it's about getting to, to see if they're a good fit, if you can, you're excited about them. And so, yeah, we need to take this seriously, but, but not too seriously. And so those are some, some principles that can kind of help you as you think about and pursue dating. But what I want us to leave with is that it is possible with the help of Jesus to think about and pursue dating differently to actually have a better experience of dating. And I think it's possible when we build our concept of dating and our pursuit of dating and our practice of dating on the message of Jesus rather than a myth. And so I believe in you and I believe that when we put these things into practice, we will, with the help of God, minimize the pain and maximize our chance to have better dating relationships.